Well, let's, uh, let's read our text first, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to study a little bit and see what God has for us. But you guys all came to church today, and God is going to meet with you, and God has something very, very special to, uh, to, to deal with you, to, to bless you, uh, to communicate with you. So let's, let's uh, read our text, which is Exodus chapter 27, verse 9. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle. For the south side, there shall be hangings of the court made from fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side, and its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and hooks for the pillars and bands of silver. And along with the width of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings of 50 cubits and uh, with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with three, their three pillars and their three sockets. And on the other side, there shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gates of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread of fine woven linen made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be made of silver and their sockets of bronze. Uh, The length of the court shall be 100 cubits and the width 50 throughout and the height five cubits made of fine woven linen and its sockets of bronze. And all the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service and all its pegs and all its courts shall be of bronze. Okay. That is a lot of information. It is a lot of bronze. It's a lot of silver. It's a lot of linen. So around the whole tabernacle, which we've been studying the tabernacle for a little while. And who does the tabernacle represent? Jesus. Not very hard. You guys have all learned that part. And this, this outer courtyard is no different. It, it represents Jesus just like everything else did. And, and so practically this courtyard was the big outer spot. Do we still have the video of the tabernacle? You can just kind of cycle that when we're going through this. But um, this was a place where everyone was invited to come in and get to know God, have a relationship with God. So you would walk into this tabernacle. What's the first thing that you would see as you walk into the, the, the court? Anyone know? The altar, the big square altar that we studied last week that had the horns that the sacrifice would be slaughtered on. So that's the first thing you see as you enter the door is the big altar. So you have to deal with that in your heart first. As you, you I want to have a relationship with God. You come in, boom, blood and yeah, right there, which is, which is exactly how our, our life with God works. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to deal with the altar First, you have, to, you have to wonder about the sacrifice and you have to say, yes, I believe in that sacrifice or no, I want to go around it. I don't really want to deal with it. That's our relationship with God. But in this courtyard means you have a relationship with God. You are there for one purpose, not to play football or soccer, not to um, have fun necessarily, but you are in this courtyard for one reason and that is to spend time with God to have fellowship with God. 
And all the parts of the court that we've studied and all the parts and the metals, and they all mean the same thing. So what is silver? We saw some silver hooks on this. What does silver represent in, in the Bible? Redemption. 20 Jesus points for whoever said that. Redemption, meaning Jesus, it's the metal that was paid for Jesus to redeem us back from our sin. Bronze, there's a lot of bronze in this courtyard. What does that represent in the Bible? Judgment, punishment, right? So the only thing that touched the ground was bronze, and so that also speaks of Jesus. We're not going to spend a ton of time on those things because we already have spent big, long sermons on just those topics. So just take those lessons and apply them again to this courtyard and see what the Lord kind of shows your heart. We have the linen, the, the, the linen um, uh, sheets that surrounded the tabernacle were 10 cubits high, and, and so it prevented people from seeing what was going on inside. It, it separated people from what was going on the inside. You had to make a choice to go in through the gate and to be and to deal with the sacrifice in order to get in this relationship. So you can kind of see the outward, uh, the, 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 the white linen. And we know white linen speaks of purity and righteousness and sinlessness and all the other colors that we dealt with uh, in the past. If you don't, haven't learned those, go back and, and uh, spend time uh, going through those because it really will help your understanding of this. But, yeah, and there was all, the, all that stuff on the inside. Good job, John. All right, so... But right now, I want to turn to Psalm 65, verse 4. Psalm 65, verse 4. Because when we enter these courts, when, we, when, when a child of Israel, or in any, you didn't even have to be a Jew to enter into the outer court. Any person could go in at any time as long as they brought a sacrifice that could be killed on the altar. Psalm 65, verse 4 says this. And this psalm will just blow your mind. And if you have a, a tender heart, it will crack it open and, and in, into your heart will flow love. If you have a hard heart, this may even break that up. Just look at this verse. It says, blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. He says here, blessed is the man who God chooses and causes to approach him and dwell in his courts. Blessed means, oh, how happy. Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you experiencing the oh, how happy that is talked about in this verse. The blessedness. He says here, Oh, how happy is the man invited by God into a real and true relationship. That's what he's saying here. God has invited you. He has chosen you. He, he wrote an invitation, chose you in his mind, put your name on the invitation, had it delivered to the door of your house, your heart, and that invitation is now in your hand, and you're reading it. Oh, I've been invited to a fancy party. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I didn't plan that, but I like fancy parties. Um, I pictured a guy with a monocle and a top hat. but <laughs> Indubitably. I love when you say that. <laughs> oh, man. So if you're here today, I just you guys are all in this room today. 
If you're here today, God has moved in your life, God has written in the invitation, and he's delivered it, and you have responded in some way, and you are here today because of his work and power and inviting you and drawing you. That's why you're here today. Now, some part of why you're here today might be because you want to make a good impression, but you probably would go to a bigger church that has more reputation if you wanted that. Maybe you're here today because you feel guilty about your life and you want to try to get, you know, make it up to God. And that's not going to work either. But God can, in fact, he can look past all those things. He can work in all those things. And his, the true work of his spirit is deep underneath and it's inside. And he has caused you to approach him. Nobody approaches him that he doesn't draw. He has chosen you. And if you're, um, any desire that you have to taste and see that God is good, that he will meet your needs, was planted there by God. You didn't come up with the idea. In fact, you didn't have any good ideas. You have never had a good idea. God has given you all the good ideas you've ever had. Every thought of, you know what, I'm going to obey my parents. I'm going to serve this person. I'm going to love this, my wife. I'm going to love this person. All of those were born of the Spirit. Every true desire for good was born by God. He caused that to happen. And this is really important to me. I want to share with you guys. Because sometimes I wonder if I'm doing things on my own, if I'm doing this church on my own, if I'm doing the dad thing on my own, if I'm doing husbanding on my own, I wonder... And if I'm, if I'm trying to make things work on my own, by my own efforts, on my own talents, I get afraid because I think, and I'm pretty convinced, I will screw up. I will blow it. Does anyone identify with that? I don't, we just, we, if we're left to our own abilities, we will blow it. But God is really good at humbling me. And also encouraging me. You know, he has a supernatural way of helping me to know that I'm not the source of anything. Isn't that good? Like, kind of actually encouraging? It's humbling at first because you're like, wait, I was taught in school that I can do it. And that I, I, I can actually be, you know, the source of something. And, and God says, no, you can't. And so that's humbling. But then I realize that God is offering to do it for me. And if I'm not the source, then he must provide a different source. And we call that source grace. God's free power given to us. You know, I'm not the source of anything. And what God reminds me of so often is that I'm called to dwell with him. Did you see that in this verse? Where he says, that he may dwell in your courts and we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and your holy temple. I am called not first to serve God, but first to dwell with God. To be satisfied with the goodness of his house and his temple. Both house, God's house and God's temple, are pictures and images of who? Jesus. Are we dwelling with Jesus and satisfied or tasting Jesus Every day. 
Does that describe our relationship? Are we satisfied with Jesus? Going to church and spending time with God daily isn't about earning something. It's not your responsibility. It's not your duty to give your best to God. That is not true. He gave his best for you. And what he gets in this is a life that becomes transformed. And now we don't offer our best to God. We are in Christ and his best is produced through us. It's something that we could never produce on our own. God is not interested in your best. Your best doesn't measure up to God's standard. God never ripped open heaven and said, oh, you are doing such a good job, and you, I am well pleased. Has that ever happened to any of you? It's never happened to me. But it did to Jesus. Not once, twice. God said, you're doing it right. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that's the kind of life that he is going to produce in us. But I ask again, are we dwelling and satisfied tasting Jesus on a daily basis? It's not about earning or trying to make, you know, make God happy. It's about receiving the grace of Jesus, entering his courts is where his blessings are found. So, you know, picture yourself entering those courts every day where, there were, um, you know, coming through that gate and seeing that altar right in front of you. He has invited you in daily, weekly, anytime you want. And he says, in these courts, you can be happy or blessed. Anytime you want. These courts were not closed. Two o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep. And you, you want to go and you want to, you know, spend time with God. These courts were open for you to do that if you lived back then. Well, I'm not a Jew. I'm like a, someone from like Africa. You know what? You can, you're welcome too. We'll see that a little bit later. Anytime we want, we can go in and we can taste the most satisfying thing in the whole world, which is the love of God, the acceptance of God. That is what is pictured in these courts. You are surrounded by the love of God. And if that's not a big, big deal to me, the love of God, ah, oh, this is like, this is so weird, and you're talking about courts, and I just wanted to go to church and hear a Bible study. Like, if it's not a big deal to me that I can taste his love, then I really don't understand the love of God yet. And what do I do if, I, if I'm not moved by the love of God? What do we do? What can you do to change your own heart? Nothing. But God actually tells us we can just pray. We can pray. We can simply ask God to show us how much God loves us. What that means. We pray and say, God, show me what your love is, what your love means. Help me to taste it. I want to taste it. And then look to Jesus in faith, honest faith, and he will reveal it. He will reveal it. So we're going to pause right now, and we're going we're gonna to spend a couple moments in prayer. Because my heart grows exceedingly hard and calloused 
Anyone else? Man, my heart gets hard real quick. Sometimes halfway through a sermon, my heart gets hard because I'm so evil. But God is always there to listen to our prayers. And he will always respond. You know, he never, a child comes to him and says, Father, help me. He never says, get out of here, I'm busy. Never. He always accepts his children when they pray an honest prayer through Jesus Christ. So I want to take a moment and I want to pray. We're actually going to sing a song. We're going to break up our sermon. We're going to sing a song. And in this song, we're going to, you don't have to sing. I would love you to. I'm going to sing. I'm not a great singer, so I would love you guys to sing with me. Uh, but the point of this is to ask God for that soft heart because I know my heart grows hard all the time. So you could dim the lights. I lost my pick. Father, I come into your presence, I come into your gates, and the first thing that we deal with is the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice stretched upon the altar, his blood being poured out and spilled for us. He is our innocent lamb that was slain, and his blood provides for me an entrance into your presence where I am accepted and loved. And God, I I ask for your forgiveness to cover and to wash away my sin. And Lord, we want to pray right now for soft hearts. We want to pray that we we can enter in. And we can experience a joy that comes from being broken in your presence. Fully surrendered to your will. God, we have been loved by you. But a lot of times we don't even understand what that means. So Lord, I pray that as we enter into this presence with you, with joy, Lord, that we would understand it's by grace alone. And we can stand in your presence. We don't have to, you know, grovel at your feet begging. Lord, you clothe us in righteousness. Lord, even through the song, I pray you would just transform us. Help us to lay down every concern at your feet and at your altar and be filled with praise. Thank you guys for joining with me and praying for soft hearts. Um, Again, you, you might not have prayed with us. Maybe you weren't actually in the gates, in the courtyard. Because it only works when you believe that God loves you and you believe that God hears your prayer and he welcomes his children. He has chosen you. That verse that we just read, uh, I'm going to read it just again. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts and we shall be satisfied with the goodness of his house and his holy temple. So it works When you pray, he hears, but we experience it when we believe that he loves us. Do you guys believe that he loves you? 
Have you, that is dwelling, that is tasting, and that is experiencing the blessing that he's talking about. Our next verse is Psalm 100, verse 4, which says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful to him and bless his name. We could just pause church again and sing another song. Maybe we'll do that at the end. But enter his gates of thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. These are the courts that we're talking about. This psalm was written in regard to what we are learning about today, these courts that God provided to have a relationship with him. And what it just simply says is his courts are a place where complaining takes a back seat. The priority is thanksgiving and praise. How many times do we walk into God's presence and the first thing we do is tell him all our problems? Complain, 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 complain. Anyone else do that? I think most of my conversation with God seems to be complaining. But here he says, when we enter, bring thanksgiving and praise first because it sets the heart up to, to have a real and right relationship with God. You know, but I, I'm sure that there's some thoughts and some struggles as we come into God's presence. Some things like, you know what? I'm not sure if this is for me because I've been distant from God. I've heard the call many times, but I've still gone my own way. How many times have I relapsed? How many times have I gone back to the idol that I said I would never go back to? How many times have I turned to something I just know I shouldn't turn to when I was in a low place? How can I know that I'm still a part of this family? How can I know that I'm accepted? After so many mistakes, how can I know? I want to read a verse to you from Numbers chapter 15 that is going to help us through this thought of, am I still accepted? What, what do I need to do to, to be accepted and to be able to come in to God's presence and, and give him thanks and praise. Numbers 15, verse 14. And if a stranger dwells with you, whoever, or whoever it is, among you throughout all your generations that would present an offering made by fire, a, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance or one law shall be for the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. As you are, so shall, this be, so shall be the stranger before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells among you. So what we see here is that all are accepted and welcomed here in God's presence. The only requirement was when you enter the gates, you had to bring the sacrifice. You had to have the lamb. And if you brought the lamb, it had to be a spotless lamb. In other words, you couldn't bring your three-eyed, one-legged goober lamb. It had to be a spotless lamb. And so this lamb would come, and it didn't matter who you were, Jew, non-Jew, any, any kind of person if you brought the lamb and the lamb was sacrificed, you could hang out in God's court and you could be in God's presence and you could experience the joy that we talked about, the happiness, the blessing, all of it 
is yours. Now, this tabernacle doesn't even really exist, doesn't exist anymore. This is all spiritual. So who's the lamb that we have to bring? Of course. We, we come clothed in the blood of Christ and we're accepted. The only requirement was to come and see the altar first and have a lamb. It was a heart thing. In Psalm 95, verses 7, it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion as in the day of the wilderness. So back in the day, you had to bring a sheep. Today, the only requirement is that you believe and trust in the sacrifice God made on the altar, the Lamb of God, Jesus, and and. And we have to believe in our heart. And he says in this psalm, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. We already prayed for soft hearts, didn't we? And God heard that prayer. And he will work that out. Sheep hear the voice of their master. You remember Jesus telling us that? He said, don't worry about a sheep. Hear the voice of their master. And if they don't hear his voice, then they're not his sheep. So my question for you is, do you hear the voice of Jesus? That's a good question. Now, some people say they hear God's voice like an actual voice in their ears. And I don't know, I've never really heard God like that. Have you? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I'm not saying you're crazy if you have, but you might have been on drugs. I don't know. Um, no, God's voice is in the heart. God's voice is in the heart. Now, if you're really dense, he may do an audible voice. There's miracles, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying his voice is always heard in the heart. In the heart. So do you hear his voice? There's a deep internal hearing of the love and hope of Christ. Do you hear that? When you enter in to his gates, is it because you're being drawn by his love Or are you hearing a different voice that says, you have failed again. You need to make up for your mistakes and you need to to suffer and you're, I don't accept you and you're dirty and do you hear that voice? Who's that voice? Right, that's the enemy. Jesus is not saying that. Now obviously we have failed, but Jesus makes provision for that failure by his love and his sacrifice. So the only voice Jesus is saying is, come follow me. Don't follow sin. Follow me. I love you. Go and sin no more. Follow me. These are the things the Holy Spirit tells you. But I bet every single one of your hearts is hearing two voices. One voice that says, I love you. I've paid the price for your sins. I want you to draw near. Come hang out with me. We got a party going on in the, in the court. You're invited come. And another voice that says, you don't deserve it. You're a loser. You have failed. You, you're too far gone for Jesus, even Jesus. And our choice is which one to believe. Are we going to believe the voice of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, when he says, I love you and my blood covers and pays for your sins and washes them away? Or are we going to believe the voice of the enemy that says, you suck and you don't deserve to be here? 
Which one? The enemy doesn't care if you're guilty or innocent. He just wants you to stay away from God. He just doesn't want you to enjoy the blessings of being in God's presence. But literally nothing can keep you out of God's presence. Nothing can. When you come in clothed with the blood, nothing can keep you out of his presence. Sheep hear the voice of their master. And if you don't, if I don't hear the voice, it is a heart problem. My heart is hard. It's not a language problem. It's not an understanding problem. It's a heart problem. I don't have faith in the reliability of Jesus. Or, number two, I don't sense a need for Jesus. In other words, I don't even see how dirty I am. Okay? Those are the two things I need to bring to the table. Those are the two problems that we can come into, run into when we're talking about going into the court and spending time with Jesus. Number one, I don't feel like I need to. Why do I need to spend time with Jesus? I have a TV. I, I, I am perfectly happy just watching TV. What do I need Jesus for? Oh, okay. You have a hard heart that doesn't sense its own need for forgiveness and for God. How do I fix that? I can't fix that. You have to pray. You have to pray that God opens your eyes to understand our own sinfulness. Wow. So that's the first thing that can keep us from coming into his presence, his court. The second thing is when we just don't believe that Jesus is reliable. Yeah, I know I'm dirty, but if I go in there, Jesus is going to smite me. Okay? He won't. I, I don't know what to tell you, except he loves you. He's proven that he loves you. He won't smite you. He will accept you if you come in to his presence. Good stuff, right? God is not the problem. We are. In every single situation, we are the problem. Jesus is the solution. I'm the reason why I feel distant from God. Could Adam and Eve blame God for kicking them out of the garden? No, he kicked them out of the garden to save them from being dissolved like Indiana Jones on the last crusade or the temple or whatever when he dissolved from the glory of the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know. That was a real nerdy reference, but whatever. He kicked them out of the garden because he loved them and he wanted them to not be killed because of their sinfulness and his holiness and that problem. So I'm the reason why I feel distant. God is the reason why I'm invited into this court. I'm the reason I don't dwell in the courts. When did he say they have to leave the court? He didn't. He said, you can dwell there. So why do I leave? Well, I got stuff to take care of. See ya. Because we want to do our own thing. And yes, they had to maybe go to the bathroom, go have babies. I don't know. But they had stuff they had to do in life, so they would leave the court and go do their stuff. Okay? But we don't have to. We can dwell in the court through the new covenant every moment of every day. Even when you're working hard and focusing on your work as you should, at school, working hard on school, whatever you're doing, you can be in the court because it's a, a matter of faith and abiding there, trusting, or um, 
yeah, trusting him, not works. It's not a physical place anymore. It's a state of being. And the easiest way to describe it is, do you cease to be married when you go to work? Do you forget that you're married? <laughs> I forgot I was, oh, who are you? You get home, who's this beautiful person in my kitchen making me dinner? What is this? No, you don't forget and you abide in a marriage relationship even when you have to focus on other things. That's what abiding is. It's a relationship. And then when you get time, what do you do? You spend time together. You do things together because you're married and it's fun and you wouldn't want to spend time with anyone else. And that's why the guys in here today are all miserable because our wives are all up at the women's retreat and we're all just like, this is boring. He comes in and he says, I was bored all weekend. (laughs) Oh boy. I love this. So, last thing we're going to talk about. What happens when we enter into this court by faith and stay there? Well, first, we've got to understand, on the outside of this court, all they saw was what? The white linen curtains, and it blocked their view. So on the outside, the robes kept them separated from the righteousness of God. In other words, they could see that they were whites. They could see that it was the righteousness of God, but it kept them away from God's presence. They, they couldn't just run in through the, the curtains. But when you enter through the door, who's the door? Ah. When you enter through the gate, who's the gate? Jesus. And you see the altar, who's the altar? Jesus. Who's the sacrifice on the altar? Oh my gosh, this is like, like we're supposed to know Jesus or something. You go in and you're inside. Now the righteousness that did keep you from God, now what does it do? It surrounds you. You are within the righteousness of God. The same righteousness that kept you away from God at the beginning now surrounds you like a robe. So picture these outer as a robe these outer things. It's the robe that we are clothed with. When we're in Christ, you are clothed with a robe of righteousness. That is mentioned many, many times in Scripture. One I like is Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God because he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Righteousness is the most valuable thing in the universe. All of, for, and most of us, if not all, in this room already have these rows of righteousness. But my question for you is, are you satisfied in him? Are you rejoicing and are you joyful that God has clothed you in this righteousness and that you're inside the, the club, the body of Christ? Are we satisfied in it? Or do we not even see how amazing this is? Jesus has declared you righteous. It's a free gift. He's clothed you with righteousness. You have a right standing with God an invitation to the courts of heaven now. And you have every right to be there if you believe and receive him. Amen? Amen. I don't think you're happy enough. I don't think you're joyful enough. Hallelujah! Are you really happy? Someone tell me how happy you really are. Very, that's lame. 
What? That's right. All right. Well, let's all stand up. Let's sing a song about the joy of the Lord and worshiping the Lord. So now when you think of worshiping the Lord, do not think that these are the dues you have to pay to make God happy and not strike you with lightning in this parking lot. Okay? Don't think that way. Worshiping God is expressing the heart of joy and thankfulness in the, that you are in the courts of the Lord. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are adopted. And it is just wonderful. So I shouldn't even, yes, amen. We clap for the Lord. I shouldn't even be able to hear myself think or sing because you guys are so joyfully singing. Ready? Uh, my Sorry. Sorry. My guitar is not happy and joyful in the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Light of the world, you step down into darkness. You open my eyes, let me see. Thank you, Jesus. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. All together lovely, you're all together worthy, you're all together wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created. All full of sick became poor. So here I am to worship, and here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, you're all together worthy, you're all together wonderful to me. And I'll never know how much it costs to see my sins upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. So here I am to worship.
worship here I am to bow down and here I am to say that you're my God you're all together lovely all together worthy you're all together wonderful to me and i'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross i'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross so here i am to worship here i am to bow down here i am to say that you're my god all together lovely, you're all together worthy, you're all together wonderful to me. Jesus, as a family, we just love being in your presence. Lord, we don't have to leave. We can be here all day. All our life we're invited, and I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to abide. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.